All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Neil and Jordan podcast, the podcast where two comedians, or should I say two men, talk like experts on subjects they are not experts on. We have Ali here for the second podcast of 2023. Uh, as I'm sure you're all aware, Jordan is still uh, unavailable for very obvious reasons, and uh, there'll be more about that later on in the podcast. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about being brown. <laughs> we're getting woke. Love 2023, it. we go woke because... Look, there's no better person to talk about uh, that uh, particular topic than you, Ali. So uh, we will get into that. Uh, we are going to have a few messages from our sponsors and some announcements. If you'd like to skip past this, go to the three-minute mark. But uh, otherwise, we are sponsored by Comedy Untamed. And uh, I hear the uh, the manager of these uh, stand-up shows that happen weekly in Sydney and Melbourne is an amazing, good-looking, intelligent man and he may be uh, a host on this podcast as well. But Comedy Untamed, uh, weekly stand-up shows in Sydney and Melbourne. The Melbourne one's just opened up weekly, right in the heart of the Melbourne CBD, just opposite Southern Cross Station at the beautiful Speak Easy Theatre. Also monthly in Newcastle. I can vouch for all the comedians. I'm there most weeks in Sydney, but if I'm not, it's going to be hilarious. Comedyuntamed.com. We are also sponsored by Crush Organics. If you want some CBD oil, CBD gummies, CBD gummies for your pets, if your pets are going psycho, get some of that from Crush Organics, crushorganics.com. That's Crush with a K. Use the code NEEL, N-E-E-L, and you get 40% off. Uh, if you are subscribed to this podcast, at the end of February, I will likely be uh, altering the subscription model probably moving it to a one-off cost model. So if you have been subscribed for over a year and we've already answered your question or done your topic or your shout out, send another one in. There's a few of you that have been subscribed for a long time and have only sent in one question, one topic. So we'd love to hear some more uh, topics and or questions. So if you'd also like to subscribe, go to neilcolhanka.com slash podcasts. And uh, oh, what else? What other announcements? I, uh, I've released a uh, stand-up special, uh, came out right at the end of 2022, it's called Automated, so go to my YouTube channel to check that one out, and uh, other than that, I think uh, we can start talking about uh, being brown. How are you feeling about that? I'm feeling good. All right. Like Let's... a brown man, very nervous. <laughs> of course. As we are when it comes to basically anything involving women, so let's hit that, let's hit that music once again. Oh, perfect. On the three-minute mark, exactly. I'm nailing this. All right. I'm here with Ali once again. Um, how are you, Ali? I'm good. I'm actually curious. Have you had any other brown person on this podcast and spoken about this topic? Well, I've only had a very limited amount of uh, people other than Jordan on this podcast. There's been Miss Love and there's been Alex. And there's been Daniel and Max, and no, they've all been either they've all been either white or Eastern European, which is which is white, obviously. Tells a lot about you, mate. Uh, yeah, self-hating brown man. Yeah, yeah, I get that. <laughs> Fuck that. I've gotten that a lot over the years. So, oh, have you? <laughs> yeah, dude, you get that so Wait, much. Why? Anytime you do a brown joke, you, 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 it's just weaponized against you by the uh, not people like you who are first-generation immigrants, but uh, the ones who grew up here. Yeah, the ones that have... Well, the very one, insecure about their uh, ethnicity. The ones that wanted to cancel Apu, right? <laughs> yeah, those types. 
probably descendants of Brahmins, probably parents that are all doctors, <laughs> super upper class, that just get upset about everything. And I make one brown joke, even though clearly the vast majority of my jokes are uh, lampooning the whites. In fact, I pretty much got famous lampooning the whites. The whites. Whites. The whites. I like, I like that. Very tolerant people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, in, a, in a way, yeah. They've, uh, <laughs> they then became quite a lot of my fan base. So thank you, whites. Yeah. Makes you think maybe Hitler was onto something. Yeah, a little, <laughs> a little bit. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I get a lot of uh, look. I get you know when I'm. This is like ten years ago now. When I did Australian Two Minutes, I had some people. One guy in particular made a re- response video with an Australian flag in the background, just talking shit. Isaac. <laughs> yeah, probably a very early version of Isaac. <laughs> Isaac in high school. <laughs> Who's this fucking cunt making fun of Australia? Uh, but um. Look, I really went after every race in that, and I've tried to maintain that throughout my career because then, look, you can't you can't get accused of uh, being racist when you when you go after every race equally. That's by definition actually very equal. So, uh, bro, it comes from like I I'm I'm happy that that's changing though. Have you seen that new uh, stand up uh, that was released by uh, what's his name, the guy who was on Andrew Schultz's podcast? It's called Bring Back Apu. Oh, that guy. What's his name? Uh, Akash. Akash. Akash Singh. Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen, like? There's. It's. It's a very. He's not taking himself too seriously, and I like that. There's this new brown or whatever ethnic movement that can laugh at themselves. Well, every other. Uh, every other diaspora of uh, ethnic groups that have migrated to the West, any comedian that has made a name for themselves talking about the issues relevant to that group has always catered it to that group and has often made fun of that group and the traits and characteristics of that group. And people are in on the joke and laughing. And I know I did a show a few years ago. If you know those, um, a few of the guys from fat pizza went off and did, um, a show called street smart, which was supposed to be fat pizza, but for a much more family friendly audience. Now I read the script and yeah, it was an Indian stereotype. My name was Raj and I drove an Uber. Yeah, but dude, I've hung but, out with those guys. I'm not expecting anything different. I finally uh, did a Howzos episode with them recently. I saw that. That was funny. <laughs> it was, dude, but like, Howzos is the best Australian comedy show this decade. Yeah, it's so funny. Since Chris Lilly. It's so good. It's really funny. It's actually funny, genuinely funny. But uh, I justified it because every other character was a racial stereotype. I mean, there was a Vietnamese lady called... Oh, oops, sorry. Long fat or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> and then there was someone, yeah, the, her husband was called Hung Fat. And then there was a, a wog dude who uh, lived with his mum and she was, you know, uh, making him try to get married. And there was a Lebanese guy who always ate manush and was into all these schemes. And there was a bogan guy who had some tattoos and acted like a boat. Like everyone was a stereotype. So. Uh, I sort of justified it th- that way, and I read the script, and it was really funny. And, and it wasn't as though the Indian person was being the stereotype and was two dimensional, and everyone else was complex. It was that this is clearly a show that uh, makes fun of all the different racial stereotypes that have migrated to to Australia. And, uh, you know, it, it doesn't do it in the most deep and complex way, sure, but it's just kind of fluffy. Uh, simple fun and and actually the reason that show didn't um, 
do as well as I, I thought is, is, is funnily enough, I thought the editing was horrendous on that. Whoever edited that did a terrible job. And I think the script was great. I think all the actors were great. I'm clearly biased, but um, they edited it like a children's TV show, just all these, you know, excessive zoom-ins, kind of like this pantomime style of, you know, Charlie Chaplin kind of like weird sound effects and, and a guy popping up um, from behind a wall and all this kind of really slapstick sort of stuff that just I felt like didn't work. And uh, also Channel 10 weren't that friendly to it. They put it at a 9.30 time slot. didn't rate that. No, they put it actually after Russell Coit. He came, he made a comeback. This was back, this was in 2018. Russell Coit. Oh, bro, made I a comeback. watching that show. Yeah, and then they yeah, put it after that, it, yeah. and uh, it uh, didn't rate that well, and it didn't do that well, and Man, that's like, fine. Man, like, these shows but... take time to rate well anyways. It's not like, yeah. it's not, you can't expect to go viral from the first episode. And and the other thing is those the other show that um that's that that sort of that that fat pizza group and and look Polyphonic didn't actually wasn't involved in this show it was it was the brainchild of Tahir and Rob Shahidi love those guys by the way go follow them if you if you don't already um they just made the, the, that sort of humor that crude ethnic humor is what makes those shows successful and then when you make it family friendly it was a lot harder to I think find that right tone so I think that was also part of it and then all these like suits in channel 10 got involved and added all these random sex scenes for no reason at all and oh actually sorry no that was for that other one they did they did here come the habibs and they were telling me like the 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 corporate types at channel 10 just added these random sex scenes when the show was marketed as a as a like family friendly thing for the muslim community and the last thing you want to do is put a bloody sex scene in. Wait, what was their rationale for that? That I makes mean, no they're sense. It's stupid. Like, all the people in media in the corporate world are, like, actually retarded, bro. Like, they don't know anything about what's funny. They don't know anything about what good comedy is. They think comedy is, like, your 1980s slapstick kind of crap. And they 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 watch, like, Australia's Got Talent and we'll find... And, and look, there's some good comedians on Australia's Got Talent, sure, but, like, that's their kind of comedy, you know? It's It's... And look, it has to be. If it's on seven thirty in Channel Ten, you can't be, you know, you're, I can't do the style I would like to do. But uh, funnily enough, ABC, in theory, because it's the sort of government-funded one, is what you would think would bring about your Chris Lilly and Chaser type shows, which is what they did in the two thousands. And then they went all woke, and they haven't made a good. Oh, okay, I will give you the one that they do with um in that uh bureaucratic office or that guy, a utopia or whatever that that's pretty oh, yeah. good that's pretty funny and i think house eyes is really funny but look in the past decade australia really uh re- despite its comedic talent hasn't come up with any really good comedy tv show and we sure we're 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 a funny group of people we're a bunch of funny cunts but um the australian comedy industry is is corrupt ideologically corrupt i think not biased, don't you think but, that's, uh, do you think that's kind of changing though? You know how Netflix has come to this realization that there's not that much money in being woke as they initially thought. Yeah, but that doesn't happen. Where does that happen in Australia? You know, get get Rodney Roode a Netflix special, and then that would be mad. Or give give Isaac a special, or you know. <laughs> well, look, ABC. I wouldn't mind one. ABC but, uh, is just um, 
they're they're not going to be able to do it. You've got to expect the private companies to actually start catering for the audiences. Yeah, but it's not it's not profitable for them either because all of those uh, like Channel Ten in particular, they're all losing money a lot. Their their model is dying, and I think they're all um, leaning a lot towards streaming services, and they're just obsessed with reality. And the reason is, and this is just a business decision because it's not really creative people running these TV channels. It's it's just business people. And they're really good at, you know, you cutting your costs and running the business side of the operation, but they're not good at actually developing the shows. And the people who are still developing these shows are people who developed really good shows in the 90s and the 2000s, but uh, culture and the media landscape has changed so drastically that uh, I think they're becoming a little bit obsolete. And they, they sort of know it. I know I know this, but they're all nice people. I'm not trying to badmouth anyone personally here, but it's just... Uh, a product of the landscape having changed so much. And I, I'm i sure there'll still be a few good comedy shows that come out here and there, but it's, you know, it's the slow death of the comedy TV show. I just can't see other than Houses, which I think is amazing. And my both me and my girlfriend just binged that for um, a couple of days. Dude, I've got the so funniest poly story. So when I, I met him, right, and I asked him, uh, what what's gotten you into trouble? Like, what are these? What's something that really got you into trouble is with these jokes? Best? Is it the? Nah, it was so funny because it was like, mate, it was not even that big. Like, we had these because you know we we wanted to make this joke about this woman wearing a burqa, but we were putting the letters in her in her <laughs> eyes, and like it's a funny joke, right? <laughs> but this lip cunt, he came up to me and he started beating me up. He's like, "What the fuck are you doing? That's your fence." I was like. Mate, it's a joke. It's not even offensive. It just it looks like a letterbox. Nah, <laughs> he was still angry that like how how could that uh, even uh, happen? Uh, it was such a basic joke. <laughs> yeah, that guy that guy's the king of uh yeah the hells of Australia. <laughs> Look, that's one thing you really cannot make. I, 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 yeah, it's very hard to go after Islam in any kind of way. Yeah, yeah, but like I liked the innocence in him because he was still like. I don't even understand what the fucking point about that was. Like, it was just a joke. <laughs> but so I like that he still has that innocence where he's just like, nah, nothing is sacred. Like, you can go after anything, right? Yeah, and you need that. You need, it's it's just pure iconoclasticism, which is lacking in, in the comedy world right now. And I just think the, 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 the sort of ethos of what that style of show is about, like your houses, is just that, like, everyone cops it equally. And sure, it's not the most highbrow comedy out there, but it's hilarious. Yeah, you cannot just, deny that it's hilarious when Shazza punches on with her own fucking daughter and then Kev the Kiwi is like, oh, bro, oh, do I have to get a job? I'll just get some grog and stick. And then Paulie's having a, a foursome with three stripper chairs. Like, it's it's brilliant. It's so over the top that it you're forced to laugh. And they're all great actors, and I think it's a really funny story and – the whole thing, Houses versus authority, like he really embodies the 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 ethos of that, you know, that sort of sector of Australian society, and I think it's brilliant. But um, coming back to the Brown thing, right? Uh, granted, I haven't copped this to a to a massive extent, but I did get a few tweets when I did that show about how I'm selling out my race and things like that. Now, first of all, I promise you this: I made less money by foregoing the the comedy festival that year. You may got quite. A, you make a fair bit of money when you do the comedy festival, actually. But um, this wasn't that well paid. And so it was not for money. And it was just to get a foot in the door in the, you know, mainstream media industry. And, you, you know, you have to play the game. Not everyone is uh, 
can be Dev Patel in their first role. You got to, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he was still oh, dude, the he Indian that guy, slum guy. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. He still was like the Indian slum dude that basically appeared. Isn't it funny? You watch it took like him a couple of years to get into that movie where he's uh, from Tassie or whatever. It wasn't. It wasn't an easy ride for him, bro. And if your first movie wins an Oscar, okay, it's going to be easier for you. They um the the Bollywood guys wanted to cast some um western indian actors for you know indian origin actors for some films but they're all they're like man these guys are all wimps like they're just <laughs> all the indian uh, actors that are chosen by mostly let's be honest these kind of you know champagne socialist white women casting directors just like they become these emotional support pets for them they're like oh, you know you go to a casting and they'll literally be like tell me about how you've been oppressed tell me about how hard your life is because you're brown and then I'm like, yeah, look, man, I, I got called a curry muncher, but I also called people wogs and terrorists. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty 50-50. And they're like, mm, <laughs> mm, I don't think you're right for this role. Yeah, you need to get the fuck out of here. Like, dude, every brown person on the, whether they're on the project, whether on their re- reality TV, has to have some sob story about how hard their life has been in Australia. It's getting to the point where I'm like sympathizing with the Pauline Hanson types. I'm like, yeah. dude, you're becoming a pet. Like, you are becoming this, like, emotional support pet for uh, boomer white women to offset their white guilt and their class guilt because they just watch it and go, aw, aw. What do you think about this? I reckon, like, part of this, I'm not saying that this is the sole reason, but part of it has to do with, like, colonization. Brown people, and I know India as well, so don't deny this, like we we want to be white. We want to be white so much. I don't. Where does that come from, man? Like I I get that there's this kind of whiteness is considered the most attractive, but that's not. I don't think that's because they want to be the white race. It's because historically the people who had the fairer skin didn't work outside in the sun, and so <laughs> it was associated with uh, being rich and well off. Mm. Uh, you, you could argue that. Because that existed before colonization, the the fairness. Thing. Yeah, that's true. But so, but man, like my grandma who died like I think a couple of years ago, she used to live in colonial India, right? So she used to live when the white man was in charge. And all she cared about was how like if I ate with my hand, she would get upset. She was like, You must eat with a fork and you must eat with a spoon. She was like, You should know how to speak English. You need to get she basically wanted us to be white, like white, get white educated, move overseas. Just everything to do with white people was great. My sure. uncle is like a maniac. He's literally from, uh, he's like this, uh, from that Dave Chappelle sketch where he pretends that he's actually white, but he's black because he's blind. Anyways, remember that sketch? He's literally that guy. He's like, you come here. When, you, when I first moved to Australia, he said, you must assimilate into this country. All of those people that you left behind suck. You need to make sure that you marry into an Australian family. You need to make sure that you do not maintain any contact with the brown people. Well, that's very that's very extreme. He's so extreme. But like I'm just saying that and, and he's 80 years old now. So he comes from that time. His his family, legit, his family did not allow him. When they were in India, they weren't even overseas. They were in India. His family did not allow him to hang out with other brown kids. As a concession, he was allowed to hang out with half-white kids 
who were who are called Anglo Indians over there. So wow. his mates are half Indians because like the white people didn't want to hang out with them. That's uh, definitely an extreme example of someone uh, okay. ex- exhibiting yeah your internalized racism or whatever. But that also is a, that's a complicated thing, surely, right? Because you know I the whole point of the in theory the West is like I can like move through life and look at how I want to live my life so long as it doesn't Im- Im- impede upon other people and choose essentially whatever personal culture I want to have. Mm-hmm. Now, I should be allowed to say like, yeah, I don't agree with a few of these things that come from my um, ancestral culture, which I don't. I don't I don't agree with a few things. And there's also things about Australian culture where I'm like, I don't know, that doesn't even make sense. I don't think Australia even, I don't even know what Australian culture is. We did a whole podcast on that. But you know, I don't want to be tied to any culture. I don't want to. I don't want to have to like, you know, uh, make the brown community happy by only making fun of white people and always making a you know commenting on every brown issue and talking about tokenism and and internalized racism and all this stuff. That's not even funny. But then I don't want to like. I'm not trying to. Then I get accused. Oh, you're just trying to appease white Australia. And it's like, bro, have you seen? My my early videos. There's no way I'm trying to appease white Australia. And dude, let's be real. Whatever that wanna, even means. If you want to appease white Australia, particularly the people that are behind the helms that are calling the shots, you really make sure you don't make fun of minorities because there's definitely an ideological tilt over there. So you're not helping yourself if you shit on brown people by any way. It's not like white people are like, oh, finally, Neil, now you're on our side. That's true, exactly. Yeah, they're anything. in fact kicking you out of stuff exactly, because of it. Exactly, like they sacrifice. The, yeah, the powers that be now want... Uh, it's 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 heresy to, to say anything about any culture when I but, think the best thing is like if you're comfortable in a context of people from different ethnicities... Well, like Paulie, like I agree with that general ethos of of like no nothing should be that sacred to you that if someone makes fun of it in a genuinely good-hearted manner. Now that that's subjective; things can come across in a mean way, and there's a gray area there. But if something is that sacred to you, I think that's on you. I don't think that's on the person who is trying to make that joke. Mm. Look, I'll bring it back to the brown thing. So I, I'm not trying to say that. In general, brown psyche is that we want to be white people. But I do think that in general, brown psyche is to try to emulate whoever is powerful at that particular time. So if you look at Indian history, they'd be like, India was rich. I mean, rich as in like, you know, that part of the world was richer than other parts of the world. They were exporting a lot of stuff. Particularly in the 18th century, pre-colonization. They were like, I think, represented 20% of the global GDP, which is pretty remarkable. But it always got invaded. Yeah, when the Hindus controlled it. Yeah, when the Hindus controlled it. Actually, not true. When the Muslims controlled it, sorry to say. But no, there was a little period there when uh, Shivaji and the Marathas yeah. took over a lot of India. No, that's true. The Marathas. Very, very wealthy. Yeah, beat Aurangzeb, or, or the Spe- Mughal ruler. That's uh, that's actually specifically my ancestral lineage. No way, which was a remarkable yeah. fight by him, I must say. He was a very good warrior. But having yeah, said Shibaji. that, his reign was really small. And the the high exports Fair. of India lasted was predate. I'm not saying that he was bad. I'm saying he, like it, yeah, look, it's it, just India. It's like irrespective of your Hindu context, or Muslim, yeah, whoever they it might didn't be, have a long empire. Yeah, there's a reason why people were coming to India. Like you don't go to shit places. No one was going to Mongolia at the time, you know. So it's 
people, whenever they'd be invading forces that came to India, whether it be the British, the Muslims, but it's, Muslims is such a blanket term. It's because there's so many different people that came. Like the Iranis came in, the Turks came in. Like the Mughals were essentially Turks. They all came in and the Indian nobility at the time reacted with, hold on a minute. We don't have to fight about anything. We had overlords before. You can be our overlord. How can we help you? Let's make some money off of this. Because they gave too much power to the priest class. True. And these like, so when the Muslims came in, they literally just replaced the, the, the warrior class, right? So the warrior class called all the political shots. The priestly caste was essentially intellectuals. Like really, they, they weren't a helm of economic and, and political affairs. It was the Kshatriyas who were really doing that. And when the Muslims came in, they literally just replaced the nobility. In some areas, like you said, the Shivaji, and there were other Hindu uh, kingdoms as well, where it stayed the same. It was just like whoever came in so seamlessly adjusted into the Indian uh, uh, social structure. And so there's this thing of like, okay, you're strong, you're powerful, there's clearly things that you're doing that is good, so I'm going to actually try and emulate you. I'm going to learn from you. Yeah, look, most of Indian history is that it was uh, generally controlled by by you know Muslims around the, that area and different ty- different groups of Muslims, but they were very easily conquered. And there's probably a myriad reasons why that is, but I think it's because they like gave too much power to priestly affairs, and they minimized the the need for a a good army and just warrior codes yeah, and, they and were just, a they, culture of they that. Were and the one time to... they did, they took over half of it. Yeah, yeah. They, they've taken over in many instances. Like mm. Indian history predates well, Muslim. Back, yeah. yeah. Like there's thousands of years of history, bro. Muslim history is small in India, like if you compare the long scheme of things. But it's just an easier geog- geographic location to also conquer, if I'm being honest. A lot of it is plains. Which is why you didn't get a lot of invasions in South India. Yes. Because it's, it's harder to go to South India. That's true. And it was very, it, only the British that actually united the whole thing. It was all mm. kingdoms. So it was a lot easier to to conquer in that sense as well. It yeah. wasn't. Because they were a naval front. power. That's why they could do it so easily. So yeah. South India, if you look at South India, South India hasn't been, it doesn't have the the invasion bloodshed history really. Uh, there's, there's Muslims over there, but most of those Muslims, like, I think mainstream Indian uh, uh, historians would agree where uh, they didn't convert out of force. North India, a lot did actually uh, were forcefully converted. And it's because they were just surrounded by the ocean. You really need to be good to conquer South India. And even to get to that part of of the world back then, you know, it would have required quite an exorbitant amount of sailing around either Africa or China here. So, anyway. Not easy. But North India, you're right, has been constantly conquered by different people at different times. Uh, part of it is, man, it's some people, it's just easier to conquer some places than others. These mountainous people that were coming in, they have... And people wanted to conquer it. It's yeah, fertile. Exactly. It's, it's very so fertile. fertile. And you literally, you come through to India... And you start off with the Ind- in the Indus River and you follow Gang- Ganges all the way. You just see fertile land and you see flat fertile land. And most of the population was docile enough. All they cared about was doing trade and making money. They didn't really care about who was ruling them because hmm. they had to be ruled by someone. For the average person, There's- it didn't really matter who really was doing it. 
Sure. Yeah. Also, there was no con- like I know it's like there's no concept of like India as such. These were like independent kingdoms. They were, yeah. and so when one Hindu ruler was let's say controlling uh, Deccan, people in under his control weren't really uh, you know subservient to Hindus in general. They were subservient to that particular political order that existed over them. So if some other Hindu was coming from the Western part, or if some other Muslim was coming from the Western part, they just looked at both of them as conquerors, really. Yeah, and then the British maintained a lot of power for the monarchs at the time as well, and a lot of them just bent over. They didn't really even want to fight, and there's, from what I've read at least, it's a complicated kind of history there. But uh, I guess coming back to today... Coming back to what what I was saying is like, I think that it served us well. Brown people's... We are very easy to adapt into different situations as long as it helps us propel us in a, in a different way. So, like, if the British are controlling India, we want to be like the British because we want to make money, too. We want to be successful. And if this is the way that you succeed in this new world, then we're willing to do this. Before that, it would have been the Muslims. The Persian language would, would have been considered really. And so people would learn that in India. I think it's a really good thing in in just your general progression in life. More dynamic people willing to learn, willing to take risks. Because you do see with the, as an immigrant group into Australia, which is now the largest immigrant group coming into Australia. And I, I if that trend continues, there'll be a huge contingent of people with uh, Indian ancestral lineage by the time we're in our 50s. A large portion of this country will... Uh, be you know ethnically Indian, uh, they don't have that same sort of community. As far as I'm aware, that many of the other migrant groups into Australia have. They do, they do. I should, I should correct that, but not to the same. No, it doesn't seem like the bonds are as strong as say the, uh, you know, the the Greek Italian migrants who came here post war and still hold on to that. Dude, Greek migrants that are now up to their third, sometimes fourth generation, are more Greek than the Greeks in Greece yeah. because Greece liberalised culturally a lot more, whereas the ones, the migrants that came here post-war held on to that culture far more mm. and they're ironically more Greek, traditionally speaking, than, than the, the actual Greeks. Yeah, it makes sense. And similar with the Italians, right? Whereas, the uh, it, first of all, a lot of the Indians that migrated here, and this is different... In, in in the US and Australia, the Indians that migrated were generally your upper class Brahmin, highly educated. That's why the stereotype that they're all doctors, that's where that comes from. Whereas you didn't get that in the UK and you didn't get that in Canada. Mm. And so there's this idea that, oh, Indians are all doctors and they're all now look, in general, yeah, there's a there's a bit there's a culture of uh academic prowess and and parents are far more uh they'll push their kids to uh you know, study as hard as possible. And we've got that in, in common with like East Asian cultures. Uh, but um, y- you have that sort of upper class uh, emigrant group coming in here. And I think because the material conditions that they had here being doctors, that like it probably made them want to integrate more and it was easier for them to integrate. Whereas if there's this sort of ghetto of a much poorer working class group of immigrants, mm. they hold on to that culture a lot more. I mean, the, the Irish in New England, in America, they still, to this day, and this, this migration occurred more than 100 years ago, mm. to this day, they'll 
some of them even speak like whatever the Irish, like Gaelic or whatever, whatever that is, but they really hold on to that Irish culture. And now then there's this argument of like, all right, are you a bad person if you don't hold on to the culture? Because my dad, he came in here um, and not nowhere near to the same degree. Your he didn't resent uh, being brown well, my, or anything my, like that. My uncle he, is legitimately insane. I understand that he's, yeah, he's that's an a, outlier. That's, that's However, insane, the bro. mentality exists though. There's some, yeah, but I don't think that's, I, I think that that's a one-off instance. I don't, I don't think. Because, Bro, I'm no, it's more you, Indians in fighting people, with each other. It's, it's Indians accusing each other of, like, you, you, you have internalized well, racism. Well, they do that. You hate your own race. They do that. But there is this fetishization of the Western world. Man, we How have so? to admit it. Come in on. what way? In what way? In, in, like, okay, everything that is Western is superior. I'll give you, like, a little example. Some guy made a video on this, and I just um, uh, looked at it. So he was commenting on um, the Indian Premier League, the Cricket League in India, and he was saying uh, the auction that, you know, it's, it's people get sold for millions of dollars, right? But he was saying that he, look, he did like a statistical analysis of it. If you were from New Zealand, England, Australia, or South Africa, you were much more likely to be picked even if your numbers were lower than someone from Sri Lanka or Bangladesh because Pakistanis don't, they don't, so that doesn't count. But like Sri Lankans, Bangladesh, so if you're brown and you score more than a white person, somehow they still pick you up. And this is a fucking well-oiled okay. business machine. But are they comparing that to just, because look, it's, you know, Indians have a thing with Bengalis and Sri Lankans specifically. What about in comparison to native Indians? Are they getting Oh, no, no, the of? native Indians sure are also getting money because they're local heroes. So they they just get money based on that. Like everyone, they people want to see the. Well, then is heroes. that like a fetishization of the West or just a hatred of Sri Lanka and Bangladesh? No, dude, I think it's a fetishization of the West. It's like uh, uh, Hollywood movies would instantly be considered better in in many regards. Uh, if if a white man says something, it will have you know how some uh, Americans say that when, if you hear something in a British accent, you tend to listen to it more. If a white person says something to a brown person, they listen to it more than if another brown person or if an Asian person was saying it. What's the where's the evidence of of that? Man, you got some brown people. All right, how about this? Like, you, there's a few brown people listening in. Sure. Yeah. Comment or wherever well, this we is can, going. They can't comment now, can they? Well, then that's your fault because they would they would confirm this. I sw All right, look, maybe maybe I'm wrong, but I feel I'm not wrong on this. Well, that's it. It's if you you feel that. How much of that is in like because dude, I okay. lived in a brown country. Yeah, I, you did. yes, I you did. You did. I know how they think. Trust me. Yeah. Well, yeah, we have that very. That's a very different experience that and we it's have. Just because, like, look, you they look at it. Maybe look, look. India is now okay, changing. Is it, though, is it like a so. fetishization of the West or a fetishization of wealth? It's it's it, on the surface it's West, but on my argument, it's really wealth. It's whoever's really killing it at the time that brown people will try to emulate. I have no doubt that okay. let's say in a hundred years or something, the situation reverses and the new top dogs are the Chinese or the Japanese, whoever it might be. It's Nigerians. I bet you Indians will start want to be Nigerians if that was the case. As long as whoever has the control of the world or has the economic might or intellectual might at the time. Maybe. Yeah. Look, I don't know, man, but um, I see a lot of this. I uh, I uh, hear a lot of this on uh, social media and I'm skeptical. 
I I think a lot of this is is uh, individual brown people. They're the ones internalizing the idea that like people, my race makes me kind of inferior. Like people of my race actually look to other races as superior. And look, have I look when I was younger? Were there like certain things that I like? Okay, the fetishization of white women, that kind of thing. I mean, every culture does that. Black dudes do that. Everyone does that. And that's like, yeah, that okay. Is not the, the best. Prime white people right now control the world. So everyone's gonna want to emulate that. So black people do it, everyone does it. But not really, man. Like how many brown people are emulating black culture? No, because black cultures aren't dominating the world, man. If they were, it'd be different. Come on, how many brown people wanna act like they're a rapper and wear streetwear? Hey, now, good and- point. They do now because rappers, if you look at like, okay, again, I'll give you an example of these, uh, these demigod Indian cricketers, right? These guys were, they all, they're all extremely impressed by the West Indies because again, American rap culture and black culture has become cool. And India also, which is again, credit to them, they're, they're getting richer. And so the richer they get, the less insecure they get about trying to emulate someone else. So I think maybe in the future, once it, let's say India becomes the second largest or the third largest economy in the world, uh-huh. this fetishization will definitely decrease. It really also stems if you're poor. And India was like dirt poor until like the early 2000s. Yeah, I mean, I think these are like, there's evidence both ways. And a lot of this is sort of like, what is going on in someone's mind when they emulate a certain culture are they fetishizing it or are they just appreciating it appreciating it and i don't think you can prove something either way is there an incidence of brown people you know wanting to be wanting to emulate the characteristics of either the wealthy which are you know generally still perceived as the whites sure but does that uh is that exacerbated by this like modern uh second generation group of uh indian immigrants who are perceiving every action that uh someone does that that doesn't sort of align with exactly what that brown community wants you to do as simply fetishizing white people or no, internalized so racism indir- no, they're, not they're, not directly but what they're doing is they don't want you to point out that they're different from the dominant culture in this country because if you're trying to let, let's say I'm trying, I'm not saying that this is a subconscious thing. I'm not saying people are like actively doing this, but if I'm trying to emulate the dominant culture in Australia, which is happens to be white Australian culture, right? If I'm trying to like assimilate into that and I don't want to be perceived any differently. And then someone on stage starts talking about how Indians are different or will do a, 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 a Indian accent or something. I'm getting uncomfortable because like, bro, you're ruining my gig here. I'm trying to avoid that shit. If you're secure about your own self, if you're secure of with whoever you are, you listen to someone doing an Indian accent and you laugh. That's the natural reaction. But we get angry because like, stop it. You're making us look bad, which means you're not helping me assimilate into this white culture. You're pointing out that I'm a different person. I think it's part of it might be part of it is, yeah, you're making us look bad. You're mocking this culture. And, and, and look, you do, tend to cop a lot of that. But if you're like the one brown guy in a school, yeah, you're going to get called a curry muncher and this and, and all these sorts of things. But I don't think that's, you know, something unique to the the brown experience, nor is it unique to a, a racial minority. I think this is just something that applies to anyone who happens to be a minority in any 
shape, way, or form. If you're the one redhead at a, at a school, you're going to get mocked a lot about that and probably become very insecure about it. So I think people exacerbate how uh, pertinent this issue is, and I think that's sort of come to the fore more in the last two to three years, and I listen to a lot of people like these kind of dissident African-American intellectuals like your... Um, mind blanking on his name, John McWhorter and, and, and Coleman Hughes and these guys that are, are now questioning that counter narrative of, okay, how much do we need to perceive racism when it may not actually be racism? So a, a perfect example is this, like I go into a bus and let's say there's all white people in the bus. There's like one seat. Okay. And it's next to someone else. And I, I'm walking up, someone puts their bag there. Now we've been conditioned to think, oh, that must be racism. There's no other possible we're not conditioned. Completely. It's our insecurity that's making us feel that way. Honestly, I'm going to be 100% true. It's insecurity. Every time someone makes an Indian joke, it's your insecurity thinking that, you know, for whatever reason, maybe you were called a curry muncher when you were a kid and maybe you've internalized that, but that becomes like a trigger point. It's just, it's always your insecurity. In some cases, it might be genuine. Some cases, I'm pretty sure people are racist, but... Honestly, that's rare. Most of the time, it's for whatever reason. They might have done it the exact same thing to a white person. They just want to fucking keep their bag on that uh, chair. It could be. Look, it could what? be race. It could be a combination of things. It could be partly your race, and it could be also the way you look, and it could be that you have an odor. I don't know. It could be a lot of things, and I think it's unfair to assume immediately assume racism when you simply feel that it's racist. Mm. And then when you have these, I think, very kind of puerile conversations that are uh, often uh, just, you know, considered the, the the highest degree of intellectual thought on your Q&A or your project or these sorts of shows, and they're constantly repeating the same question, is Australia racist? And they have someone who simply just uh, articulates their lived experience and assumes that their lived experience is enough to define an entire country of 25 million people, which to me is actually, that's more, that's closer to narcissism, if anything. Like, mm -hmm. you cannot simply say, because I've had these personal experiences, I'm allowed to define an entire country and all its people as that. Now, there's also different definitions of racism that have now suddenly just come into being. Well, not suddenly, but they've sort of seeped in through, like, sociology and other academic disciplines so that now the idea of racism is more about power structure. So when people have these often heated debates on on your shows like your Q&A they're not even arguing from the same point of what racism even is to each of those people and I don't know man it it, it, it a lot of it also absolves the individual from and I, I ironically I'm talking about a lot of my experience here because when I was younger I did feel that like I was highly targeted and 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 left out and and you know, made to feel that every every sort of assault on my feelings is is a form of racism and it's just a microaggression as part of a greater culture of racism that exists and, and permeates in all Western cultures. But then I inquired into that a little bit more and I started to, at least in my, in my best estimation, uh, think a bit deeply about that. And no, I had adopted an identity that had, that had absolved me of accountability for a lot of things. So I used to think, oh, the reason I'm not on TV is because I'm, I'm brown. But that completely absolved me of any responsibility of, of looking at, well, look, am I working enough? Am I actually talented enough? Am I actually doing the work I possibly could be doing? Or is it just all because I'm not 
what? And I, I think people really do exaggerate how much race plays a factor in a lot of these interactions and a lot of um, experiences that people of a different race feel in, in Western countries. And I think it's also detrimental to that person because if you're, if you're constantly seeing racism everywhere, one, that's not a nice way to live your life. You're, you're continually assuming the worst of everyone. You're continually making yourself out to be a victim. It's not empowering. I think it's the complete opposite of empowerment. Um, and I think people need to inquire a bit further into why they might be feeling a certain way or why their life may be the, the way it is. And, and quite honestly, psychologically, I think there are a lot of parallels between someone who thinks, oh, look, all the like the globalists are trying to, you know, eliminate the white race and uh, I, everything is fucking like globalism and, and fucking multiculturalism on steroids. They're trying to eliminate our culture is psychologically the same person as like, if you, you know, if there aren't exactly this many brown people in every show that I see on TV, that's racism. If a, if a brown comedian isn't constantly talking about being brown from the lens of always putting down white people, that's they're racist and they have internalized racism. Mm. I think those two people have um, are insecure in their individual identity and their position in society, and as a result, they've adopted an ideology that absolves them of a lot of accountability and helps them understand in the the world in a way that doesn't make them feel terrible because of. It will make you feel terrible if, if you have actually, well, for all these people that are like, they're fucking taking our jobs. Well, look, if you did lose your job because it was shipped to China, you'd see, like, I'd be angry too. I'd be fucking fuming if I had a family and just, you know, could not retrain and all my skills were gone. And it's not that easy to just simply, oh, you know, get over it, like find a new profession, find a new career. Well, there's no more manufacturing left. Uh, simultaneously, if you if you have been, say bullied and and maybe made to feel insecure about your your race then it's probably uh, a much um simpler way for your your inner psyche to understand the world to adopt the the ideology that oh it's because the culture i live in there is a pervasive form of racism that can be found in every possible interaction and everything i see and it, both of those people i think um have 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 dealt with certain things in their life and maybe have a certain proclivity psychologically to 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 adopt these certain ideologies and much like what we were talking about in the last podcast these ideologies are powerful and it makes you an avatar for an ideology and a and a soldier for a particular worldview that may not actually be helpful for your community and for society at large Dude, at the end of the day, it's just scapegoating, right? It's just finding an excuse. And we all do it. It's a human trait. It's not necessarily yeah, yeah, no, like I've a done it. I've minority definitely. trait. Like white people do it as well. They just don't blame it on their race. They'll blame it on something else. She just hates me because what for whatever reason, right? We all scapegoat. Brown people just have this additional component that they might scapegoat. It's like, oh, it, whatever ethnicity you are, that it might be because, you know, of the way I look. Dude, in my experience, I have, I think we've talked about this once. I can't remember if it was on this podcast or uh, Friendly Geordies. But I've no, I haven't particularly noticed like color racism as much, but I have noticed some discrimination with people of different accents. And when I mean different accents, I mean like fob brown accent. I have been to job interviews where there are much more qualified brown people that happen to have an accent, not get a job. Hmm. And other 
and me being around person, I got that job. And I was like, I was not nearly as qualified as that lady that walked in, but she just had a fucking thick Indian accent. And how do you how do you know that's the only I don't, but particularly because I this was when I was applying for a call center job, it makes sense because they don't want people to sound Indian on the phone because why people assume that they've called overseas. Well, the, I don't know if that. Yeah, okay. It's, it's 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 unfortunate. It's an unfortunate set of circumstances that has caused that person's particular tone of voice to be detrimental. But in the same way, like if you're, uh, you know, trying to get a, a physical job, like you obviously have to discriminate based on like physical strength. There's things that, you know. There are other okay, factors involved in a job. It, like that business owner has to think, okay, I want to make sure that the people who are calling people, they're easily it's understandable. differently. I get what you're saying. So if you if your job is to pick up bricks, right, and you're really weak and scrawny, you're not going to get selected for that job. I get that. Hmm. But in this instance, that lady who I'm talking about, and it's not just lady, I've, I've noticed that with a lot of hiring. I understand it's a call center and you, you want to avoid those perceptions. But these Indian people, these brown people, were they? it's not that they couldn't speak English. Their command on the language was better than some native speakers. They had an accent. Mm. So they were perfectly, they had experience, they had worked in this field. They were perfectly equipped to handle this job. So they're not that scrawny kid that cannot pick a brick. They can, they can pick this brick and they can pick it well. It's just a perception thing. You don't want, and by the way, they changed it later. Their mm. policy was changed. And now they have people with all sorts of accents working over there, which I think is a good move. It was ridiculous. And that's a certain kind of discrimination, I feel. Yeah, I mean, that one is um, an interesting case because so many call center jobs were outsourced to India that uh, people got fed up of people with that particular accent calling them. So it might be in the call center's interest to hire someone without yeah, that accent. But yes, I do then. Think about what you I, just I, said. People got frustrated with, with hearing that accent. Do you get frustrated with hearing this? I hear it fucking everywhere. I live in this country. It's There's a certain level of discrimination that even comes with that feeling that like, oh, I'm sick and tired of this accent. Like, what the, What do you mean? Are you sick and tired of your own accent? What's Where is the, is that person not doing that job right? I'm saying I understand where they're coming from, but I don't agree with that. And that's something that we can genuinely explore into. But mm. then like there's other stuff that people individually okay. are always complaining about racism. And I don't think I've ever genuinely experienced a racist episode in this country. Yeah, I, I think there's something to be said about the the, the state uh, being able to enact uh, certain regulations that deny the absolute freedom of businesses and things to just hire whoever. They Obviously, something like segregation in America is a perfect example where that clearly was just blatant racism and, you know, stereotypes don't exist in it. A lot of, I'm not denying a lot of the, the, the truths that come from this particular ideology. Stereotypes don't fall out of the sky they're uh, a product of certain environments and, and consequences. And a lot of that is based in um, preconceived prejudices. And, and yeah, you can call these economical power structures, although I think that is actually a myopic kind of way of seeing it. But uh, there's definitely a truth to that. And there's also a truth to human nature, uh, recognizing patterns. And unfortunately, it's it's very it's it's almost impossible to avoid uh, a human being recognizing a pattern 
from a, a given um, characteristic that a group of people may have if that pattern is constantly causing a negative effect within them. And I mean, like another example of this taking race out of it would be something like like this men are trash movement, right? Like, well, what are you saying? Every single man is trash. No, like you've experienced some men and they might have acted in a bad way and they've probably hurt you. And now you're discriminating against all men by saying men are trash. You've developed a pattern in your mind and you've developed that kind of schema based on various heuristics. Well, that you've you created a observe. bias in your head, really. That's exactly. And, and it's... It's important that we're aware of those, but at the same time, we have to analyze where they may come from. And there are going to be costs borne by various individuals uh, from those certain patterns. I mean, like even, say, a straight white man who went to a private school today, that's now considered like a people will will constantly lampoon those those people when I'm sure the vast majority of white dudes that went to private schools worked really hard and and you know bro i tell you one privilege that brown people have that white people don't and this is a huge privilege your parents actually care about your educational well, outcomes exactly like it's there's so massive many things, there's all these things that like we we should also be um like people come up to me like this is what i think is this like insecurity like that you're talking about which i think we do agree on this kind of insecurity that permeates through this particularly immigrant class that has come to Australia. Like a guy comes up to me, he's like, man, it's so good to see a, a brown guy that isn't just a doctor or an engineer. I'm like, do you hear what you just said there? Ooh. The stereotype we have developed is that we are disproportionately represented in the most educated and hardworking profession that there basically is. Yeah, but that guy's probably not smart enough to be a doctor and engineer. So he looks at you and goes like, <laughs> uh, not that he's like, you know, Maybe, he's, like, yeah, but he's like, oh man, thank God. Because his dad is killing him. He's constantly asking him like, why aren't you a doctor? He's like, bro, have you ever thought that I'm not smart? Like, has that ever occurred to you? Right. But you know, you made a really interesting point about- But that's uh, a good stereotype. Like, that's, no, it's, a, it's that's a, great, a mad stereotype. Uh, it's, it's a stereotype. But it comes from like, you know, you, you made this point earlier that a lot of the people that migrated from India to Australia have been the affluent classes, people yep. that were educated enough to actually make the move in the first place. And that's changing now. Now there actually is a lot of um, lower skill labor coming from, yeah. come from India. And, and it really changes. So like, I'll give you an example of the Pakistani community in the US and the Pakistani community in the UK. Mm-hmm. Two separate, two completely different uh, outcomes. So in the US, the Pakistani community is a really affluent community. Their per capita income is in hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, they're also like, you know, same kind of thing. They're doctors, they're engineers, they're whatever. These are the immigrants that came much after the Second World War. So these are recent immigrants and they were educated. You could only move, make that move if you were skilled enough for US to accept you. In the UK... After the First World War, sorry, after the Second World War, when there was this dirt of uh, uh, working age men, people that could work in factories and all that stuff, they literally picked up entire villages. These were uneducated people, but they wanted them in mass numbers. Mm -hmm. They didn't require them to code. They required them to fucking put a bulb every time like the thing comes on the conveyor belt. And so you look at the the immigrant population, the, the Pakistani population in the UK, their life outcomes, their life expectancy is lower. They are, uh, I think, 30%, 30 to 40% of the Pakistani UK community actually goes to university. Mm. This is ridiculously low for a country where the average is 70 to 80%, you know? Sure. 
in, in the U.S. is completely different. So it also depends on like what kind of people come and then what stereotypes are eventually created. Yeah, that's the, that's exactly right. Like with the Italians that migrated yeah. here in the fifties, it was people from the southern part of Italy that were the you know the farmers and the laborers. It wasn't the affluent Romans that migrated here, and hence a stereotype comes about in that way. And at the same time, it's like, do we not you know the the bogan stereotype? Even Australians as as a country, a stereotype is like, yeah. oh, fucking get that crocodile, eh? Yeah. Like, I find that more offensive than the Indi- the Indians being doctors. That's mad. I'm yeah, proud of that yeah, stereotype. Yeah. But like, oh, yeah, fucking Aussies drink beer and all they do is fucking hunt crocodiles and fucking root sheilas and like, look, maybe the last bit's mad, but <laughs> that, that's so ridiculous. That's like 1% of a, yeah, like yeah. everyone is this 1%. like Steve Irwin fuckwit. Rooting with kangaroos. Just, like, yeah, like rooting kangaroos. <laughs> Barking, it's a big one, mate. Like that's, that's, that's what Americans genuinely think. But then yeah. we think of, you know, you think of Southern America or you think of Republicans. I love fucking Trump like... Well, oh, I don't like guys. Now, sure, again, those stereotypes don't fall from the sky, but um, we, are, you know, I don't know if you've read that. There's this anyone who does psychology or you know uh, behavioral economics, uh, Kahneman and Tversky. They, I think they even won the Nobel Prize for their work, and it's called Heuristics and Biases. And I'm reading that now, and it's just fascinating the way they talk about. There's two modes of thinking that we that we have, which is like you sort of systematic processing that's far more logical and and you know rigorous and then there's ones based on heuristics which is essentially you see some sort of pattern and that has been encoded into your into your uh, mental landscape and then you make various assumptions based on that pattern so the famous experiment was like that they uh described someone uh, they described this woman that was um and this is i think can't remember if it's the availability bias, but it's some sort of bias that they describe. But uh, a woman, there's this woman, and she's a graduate. She's brilliant. She's very intelligent, and she's uh, financially astute. Uh, is there more probability that she is a bank teller or a bank teller and a feminist? And everyone in that they said that they worded it differently, but they the, everyone in that experiment said there's much higher probability that that she's a bank teller and a feminist when. If you think about that logically, when you break that down as just a probability problem, mm. what is the probability of this one event or the probability of this one event plus this other event? Obviously, the first one has much higher probability. Anyone with like a basic understanding of statistics would would know that. But because we have these maps in our head about, uh, you know, we can't fully define someone when we meet them for five minutes or let alone one minute or something we we so we create these kind of what are essentially stereotypes with these like assumptions and these maps in our head of that's a characteristic that corresponds to abcdx all the way all these other characteristics that's a characteristic that corresponds with all these other characteristics and um i think we can broaden it from just this like racial issue to uh how are we doing that ourselves you know all these people who decry the the uh, purported epidemic of racism in these western countries how much are they uh you know making all these assumptions about other people and and then well they've like manipulated the ideology to say well that's prejudice and because it's not because it's not predicated on power it's not as damaging as um you know the the a a dominant a, a supposed dominant class 
making those assumptions about a, a lesser class and and then that's where that whole like marxism tint of it comes in which you know the postmodern neo-marxism or whatever and um you know th- these things are just like far more complicated than people give them Dude, that, you- than like the the conversation on mainstream tv gives a credit for and then i also want to talk about uh i wanted to get into this earlier but um touch on uh dating right because you know we when I did that friendly Geordie's podcast, right? You, the stereotype of brown guys is that uh, they suck at dating and that they're always sending, you know, send bobs and vagina, whatever the fuck they're sending, and um, that affects, yeah, like that actually does affect all brown guys. Yeah, but it then it also does. it can then become <laughs> an excuse for you not taking accountability and not doing what you possibly can to uh, ameliorate that uh, those assumptions. And yeah, like sure, it's going to be harder, but that you know the only i i just can't help but feel the only option especially in the realm of something like dating is that even if you made every woman aware of these assumptions that they might be you know subconsciously uh projecting onto you no one's ever ever going to pity date you yeah you can't force someone to be attracted to you <laughs> Based on, in fact, that is the feeling. most unattractive exactly, thing ever. Exactly. If you go around talk, and and I did, and I and no, look, I did do. I sort of touched on this in my earlier comedy when I was uh, in my early twenties, and all I cared about was getting laid. And you know, I would see like any time I got rejected, oh, it's because I'm brown. Oh, it's because I'm brown. And and it was like, no, I did all these other things that were detrimental to my success. Yeah, for sure. And it wasn't even like I did it that badly. Like I just had this assumption that like, oh, you know, I'm not getting what I, it was actually quite a selfish kind of thing. I deserve all this thing, but I'm not, yeah. oh, it's because of the only reason this is happening because I'm brown or whatever. When, you know, compared to some of my friends from high school who were not brown, like I actually did pretty well. But, uh, you know, I'm just very, very, very wary of this becoming uh, a, an you know, you you and it's different to internalize racism. Internalizing the the idea that society is implicitly racist and that is so ubiquitous that you see that in every possible interaction, and it then becomes this sort of self fulfilling prophecy where you and then the community at large is not actually acting in a way that's benefiting. In the same way, like in just you average incel, regardless of race, right? They're constantly acting in a way that is just making it worse for them. Now, they've had a lot of terrible experiences and it's very hard to have a positive positive outlook when you've just constantly had an array of terrible experiences. But like if you're if if a girl's matching you and you're like, oh, you must have accidentally matched me. (laughs) Stop fucking acting like that, cunt. Like there's no way you're gonna you're gonna change your situation if you if you're doing that. And I think that same principle can apply on a collective level. And if we're constantly seeing racism everywhere, we're going to act in a way that 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 creates more of that, you know, these little microaggressions or whatever the fuck. And we need to start thinking like, all right, what am I personally insecure about? And what is a societal factor that I, look, basically have very little control over? And look, if you look at demographic changes, wait another 20, 30 years, the, yeah. like 30% of this country could be brown by then anyway. So <laughs> just just wait. And you know what? <laughs> but, you still won't get success yeah, if you're yeah. still complaining about the same shit. Well, that's the stereotype. Like late- Asian girls hate Asian guys. Yeah. Like, anyway, yeah. Go I ahead. was a late bloomer as well. I, uh, I remember actually one time I had one of those moments where I was talking to some girl. This is maybe 
2014, I think. Uh, I was talking to this one girl, and man, I got like no success. And I had the same things. I had like become content with. It. I was like, oh, maybe I was tr- hitting on everyone. So I, like, even if you were brown, you're like still nothing. If you're white, still nothing. I was like, oh, you probably didn't like me because I'm brown or whatever. I remember one time I actually started talking to this girl, and we were talking for a bit, and then uh before like just before the date she was like oh no i can't i'm i I can't do whatever she made some excuse and i remember being so gutted by it like i i called jordan and i was crying to him on the phone i was like bro she's not gonna do it and it's because it's because i'm brown and that's i know it and then jordan i can't i don't know if he even remembers this but he was like nah bro it's not that it's like it's just like you got to keep at it you're gonna get success and man, here's the thing. He, okay, if you're, I've, I've got a few words of advice because I had to learn this shit. So like I wasn't, like some people were getting fucking hand jobs when they were 15 years old. I was not that guy. So yeah, if, you're, if, you're, if you're someone out there that can't get laid, first of all, know that your white, white counterpart is also unable to get laid. This is a fucking epidemic. This incel stuff, That's it's true. not just brown, it's everywhere. So don't, so take that out of your mind first and foremost. And secondly, bro, first of all, you need to decide, do you want it? Do you really want that? Do you want to have sex with as many women as possible? Because it's possible, but you have to make that commitment. And if you do say yes, then be, it's like any skill. You've got to learn it. You've got to start, first of all, reading about it. How, what makes a man attractive to a woman? And then the most important thing is you have to have the balls to get rejected. And the advantage men have is that we can learn that and develop yeah, that. Yeah. Whereas actually, if you want to talk about what might be, you know, it's a sexist kind of trope in society is that like a woman who happens to be, you know, un- unattractive in, in, in attributes that she can't control. So not like her weight or something. Well, she can't. There's no pickup books for her. There's not real. There's there's things she could do. Yeah, yeah. She can get laid. She can yeah. She can she get can laid, laid, but she can't get a relationship. Often. And that's probably worse. Like you're getting all these guys, you know, at two a.m. being like, "Yeah, I'll fuck the fat chick." Like that would be, dude. Like that's a terrible existence. Yeah, yeah. But here's the thing. Here's look, the girl. Let's focus on the guys now because I have some like advice for the girls too. But with guys, look, just think of it as like try and go out okay if you first of all if you're a brown guy and you're thinking that you're gonna get laid through tinder you may but most likely you won't the perception is bad out there unless you're fucking amazing at like making your profile and getting the right picture sending the right vibes and then doing the initial communication bit exceptionally well you're already at a disadvantage i'm I'm, unfortunately i'm sorry that aspect of racism is a little bit true however that's not because these girls don't like brown people it's because they don't know they're not aware of brown people as much so just it's like it's it's a little bit like stranger danger situation and a lot of fob brown guys don't know how to interact well that's the main thing and then they 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 do actually say yeah give me i will marry you send my send bobs or whatever i don't know why the fuck they think that's a good idea but um, that might be something, unfortunately, that, look, uh, uh, after a while, you, you can't blame people too much for uh, developing a pattern in their, in their brain. Um, whether you want to call that racism, it's pretty, you know, if you, if you match with five brown guys and they're all like, oh, baby, send my, send Vajen or whatever the fuck, then she's probably not going to match with the next brown. Unfortunately, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. just something she's, that you might have to individually bear the cost for like, and to be honest, our collective 
for for a lot because it's a culture of arranged marriages it's not embedded in our culture to to learn skills that will be conducive to charming women because courtship is not our strongest exactly (laughs) and so that's where it comes from it's like your parents our parents have have uh developed a strategy that they've passed on through thousands of years which is how do i do i make my child in the in the in the context of dating how do i make my child the best possible suitor when you know the auntie that's deciding who the daughter gets to marry chooses them right so you don't have to develop like charm or wit or any of these social it's skills. Just you just, just skill. get a yeah. bed, get a good job, yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's all. And come from a good family, so the family will make sure we're all doing well. And so it's not embedded into the culture to learn things that will help you. And you know, when I was in high school, I used to always think like, what, what's all this thing about? Like a lot of there's this thing, selective schools in Sydney where they're um, they're very disproportionately well, they're chi- they're Chinese more than anything, but Chinese Indian and East Asian and Southeast Asian basically and you know a lot of I made a whole joke about this but like white parents will often say oh you know they, they, they don't learn any social skills there and I used to think well, what the hell does that even fucking mean what you're going to a party getting drunk and fingering each other mad <laughs> but now I'm like oh what you do at those high school parties is you practice yeah. you practice interacting with the opposite sex you practice and then like yeah you probably the drinking's probably not good for your health long term but Arguably, maybe it's good for your social health, and and you learn how uh, best to approach people, how to you know interact with people sexually. Now there's another like there's now a culture of like oh shoot even that's also inappropriate because you know teenagers can misstep and Dude, this is that as thing. well. But because it's not in our ancestral lineage to learn these skills, and that's why we have to learn them a lot. Um, we have to do more work in in, yeah. in both in both instances, but that shouldn't be an excuse. You should do that. It's a choice, man. It's like if you want to do it, if you if it, if getting laid means a lot to you, you can work at it. It's going to take a bit of effort, but you can get good at it, and you will be able to achieve. You're not going to become Dan Bazarian, but you're going to be able to achieve whatever. Dude, the other thing is like whoever's like young people out there. Just know it gets easier with age. The older you guy, get, yeah. if you're a guy, the older you get, the easier it becomes yeah, to you, get laid. Look, you want to be thinking long term. You want to be thinking, all right, I want to be as attractive as possible by the time I'm nearing 30. And if you're going to be partying and going to clubs all throughout your early 20s, mm. it's not going to help you when you're 30. You're going to you're gonna look like shit and yeah, but, it's not going to help but you. But what you do get out of it is that one, you start to give less of a shit, which makes your job halfway. Right, there's, there. there's other ways to learn how to give less of a shit than than getting wasted. But that's actually a lot day. of it. Honestly, like if you if you want to get laid, just give less of a shit. You need to go into every conversation with a girl not expecting that you're gonna get laid. There's no outcome over sure, there. The, yeah, there's that. If you go in there just and literally treat them how you would treat one of your male friends you will be infinitely more likely to actually get on with them if as if if you if you go in there just thinking i need to make this happen i need to get laid what do i do just don't think about it as much don't be thirsty don't be creepy if a girl feels comfortable while yeah. you're talking to them then they're much more likely to be interested in you yeah it's all about what what are the feelings that you are creating within that person and uh you got to learn to like read nonverbal cues and then and that's also not even just a that's a male thing like we're not good at that and it is a learned it's it's a skill that doesn't come naturally to us teaching a man 
uh, you know, nonverbal communication and empathy and expecting to them to be as good as a, as a, as the average female is like expecting the average female to be as strong as the average man. Mm. We are just not biologically built you really for that. Th- that's that big of a discrepancy? I do. I do. And I think, you know, there's 10% of men that might be uh, as emotionally astute and uh, aware as the average woman. In the same way, there's probably 10% of women that might be as strong as the average man. Like there are outliers. Mm. But when we talk about the mean... Uh, it is something that we have to work on a lot more. And and now with everyone staying at home all the time, that's not a good thing. But um, look, man, we've, we've, we've uh, gone pretty deep into this one and oh, I, man, I quite that was like just that. About that, was, to get, that was getting interesting. But yeah, like, I think we've got we to gotta end that one one there. But um, Ali, thank you for, for subbing in for Jordan. And um, I'm still not exactly sure when Jordan will be back. I'm, I'm sure it's a matter of time. We'll probably do... Maybe one more with with Ali, uh, and then maybe take a break. And then if Jordan's not back, I might do some with Alex, or I might take a, a one week break and just do some with Alex straight away. But as I said in that um, podcast season two uh, video last year, uh, we are going to be it's going to be a bit more casual with the Neil and Jordan one. There's just a lot going on, clearly, particularly with Jordan, and it won't be strictly every single week. Um, so. Uh, We'll be back soon, most likely next week, but it could be two weeks from now. Thank you very much, everyone. Um, I hope you enjoyed that, even if you weren't brown, and we will see you next time. Yeah, see, I gotta have a I gotta have a Bollywood tune or else it's racist. <laughs>